Well, good morning. It is a joy and a privilege to get to be here. Uh, I am very grateful to get to share. Anytime uh, I have the opportunity to share the truth of the gospel and of God's word, uh, it is a joy. So I, I'm very thankful to get to be up here. Um, we will be in Hebrews chapter 11. So if you have your Bible, I encourage you there at home to uh, turn to Hebrews chapter 11. I'll be reading from the ESV translation for this lesson. Before we look at the passage, though, I always like to uh, get an understanding, a good understanding of how, uh, why, to whom is this book written, what is the context, because every passage we want to pull out, we want to lay it uh, under the filter of the meaning of the, of the text, of what the author intended for us to hear and see. And so Hebrews is a very confusing book to open up and look at. There are some mysteries. Uh, who is the author? We still don't know. Some think it is Paul or Apollos or Barnabas. And truth is, we, we don't know who authored this. Um, but we can see two goals listed here. We don't even know to whom it is actually written. We can make some assumptions based on the uh, text. But we don't know exactly who the audience was. We know whoever the author is is close with uh, the apostles. He has a close relation, re- relationship with the apostles. And two main goals that stand out uh, with this text. And the first is to elevate Jesus Christ. The first goal in this whole book is to elevate Christ uh, above and separate from everything else. And so this book is broken into some sections. There's an introduction, and then there's going to be four uh, contrast of Christ and someone or something. And then there's going to be um, an image, some warnings in each one, and an image of the way people have lived out this contrast of who Christ is. And then the second is to give the warning. And so in each section, as we look at this, as we unpack this one passage, it's good to know his goal. Two goals with this author uh, were, let's elevate Christ. Let's set him beside everything and see how much greater Christ is than any other thing in all of creation, uh, in heaven and on earth, that he is greater than angels he'll be compared to. He is greater than uh, all of Moses and all of the law and the, uh, the Torah, all of these things he is compared to. And it's as they looked and put their faith in some things, uh, he, the author here, his goal is let's look to Christ and how much more. If we need these things, if we need uh, the law, if we need all of these things, how much more do we need Christ himself as the fulfillment of it? So I like to have that filter as we move forward looking at the text. And the text I do want to get into is Hebrews eleven seven. 7. Um, we read it just a second ago. And he says, uh, by faith, Noah, being warned by God of events as yet unseen in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. There's a whole lot to unpack there. And uh, so let's just get to unpacking. If you'll look here with me, Hebrews eleven seven, right at the beginning. By faith, Noah. What is faith? What faith is he talking about? From where does this faith come? How do we 
walk in it? How do we live in it? Jesus had a lot to say about um, walking in truth and in love. Not with truth, not with love. Walk in faith. Not with faith, but in faith. Uh, If we are to walk with these things, it seems like we could give them away, hand them out, and and run out of our... uh, however much we have. But if we are walking in faith and in love, even Noah as he stood in the ark, it didn't matter if he stumbled and he tripped and he fell. When he fell, he fell within the ark, which was his salvation from the flood and the destruction that was coming. So what is faith? How do we have it? How do we grow it? How do we stand in it? Because by faith, Noah, all of the rest of the text here, So what is faith? And if we look back at the very first verse of this chapter, uh, he says, now faith is, and he names two things. This author names two things that faith is. He says, faith is assurance and faith is conviction. If you look in verse 1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it people of old received their commendations. By faith we understand that the universe was created By the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And remember, we're wanting to elevate Christ. So here, this should send us back to uh, maybe a memory of John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And all things were made through Him, and without Him nothing has been made that has been made. In Him is life, and the life is the light of all men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not understand it. So here he says, by faith we understand that this whole world, everything we see, was not created with human hands. And it takes us back to who it was that created all things. It was the Word. And in John 1.14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father. We know that the Word is Christ. And so here, faith is assurance. Notice it does not say faith is hope. That faith is our belief or our hope or something we want or desire. But faith is assurance of things hoped for. Faith is not the hope. Faith is the assurance of the hope that we have. I have hope that things will be well and that my family will all be well and that we will stand in glory with God forever. But do I have assurance of that? And the only way that I can is through faith. It doesn't matter how many efforts I make, how much work that I do toward gaining access to heaven. If I don't have the assurance of that, what do I have? Even the the Pharisees said uh, they were looking for truth and salvation in Scripture. And Jesus says, you search the Scriptures because you think in them you have salvation, but they speak about me. And they missed it, even searching for truth, because faith was missing. The assurance of the things that they hoped for was missing. So he says here, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And then the conviction of things not seen. How can I know that God is when I look around And I see coronavirus and murder hornets and tornadoes and earthquakes and everything else. How can I know? Well, the Spirit of God testifies with my spirit. There is a conviction of things not seen that did not come from me. I did not wake up one day and faith. I did not wake up one day and convict myself that God is and that He is who He says He is, but something was placed in me and given to me as a gift, and we'll look at that in a second. But who is it that assures us of these things? Who is it that assures us and convicts us 
that there is more than we can see. Uh, Paul David Tripp says that no one lives life based on the facts of their existence. No one, you and I, do not live life based on facts. We live life based on our interpretation of the facts. So the facts are, there's a virus going around and keeping you at home and me here six feet away from everybody. And that's, there's a fact that there's a virus. My interpretation of that fact might have come from uh, an aunt, an uncle, a grandma, a sibling, a friend who is terrified of the virus and says, we're all going to die. And I get an interpretation of the facts. It may come from somebody who says, this is ridiculous. We should all be hugging and I still want to kiss my honey. And uh, their interpretation of the facts are the media has blown this out of proportion. Regardless, you're not, you and I are not living based on facts. We are living based on our interpretation of the facts. And so how is it that Noah, this is the question I want to get to here for verse 7, by faith Noah, he actually obeys and builds an ark for the saving of his household. How is it he faithed and interpreted rightly when the entirety of the world interpreted poorly? We don't live on facts. We live on interpretation. So how might we interpret well as we read Scripture? As we read, there is one name under heaven whereby you must be saved. How do we interpret that rightly? How do we hear with ears that hear? Jesus said seven times in uh, the book of Revelation as he talked to the seven churches. uh, He says, let him who has ears hear. Just a second ago, Ryan said, Ask that, that I pray that we have ears to hear the word this morning. How do I have ears to hear? How can you have ears that hear, eyes that see when we are blind and deaf and mute and dead in our trespasses? How is it we can do that? So as we look at this text, as we ask this question, uh, I'm going to stop. We'll pray and then, and then we will dive in uh, to how it is that Noah sees rightly. Let's pray. Father, I do ask that you would give a spirit of wisdom and a revelation of knowledge of Jesus Christ, of who you are, of your word, and the depths of the truth that you have for us to explore and to unpack. God, that you would pierce through our hearts. God, that we would give you glory and honor and praise as we were created to do that we would fulfill our purpose and you would be honored and glorified through the life we live and the words we speak and that you would give us right interpretation, right understanding. So God, let us hear your word now as we look. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to read again. By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark, for the saving of his household, and by this he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. How was Noah able? How did he have faith that rightly understood? How did he stand firmly when everybody ridiculed him? I made some notes here. I wonder how many times Noah would have missed a game on Sunday because he interpreted it as less important or significant than the gathering of the believers. I wonder how many construction jobs, since he's an ark builder and all, 
paying six figures plus would he have turned down to work on a seemingly worthless and useless ark at the time when rain had not yet come, there had been no flood. I wonder how many big jobs he would have turned down to do the work of the Lord, even though they paid better. Would Noah have quit doing the Lord's instructed work if the air conditioner was out? How appropriate this morning. We have no air, by the way, so it's toasty. I wonder if Noah would have quit doing the Lord's work if the air conditioner was out or if he wasn't able to work in the place that he was used to because coronavirus had quarantined him and he didn't want to work from home. Um, Here we have our coronavirus worship service this morning. A little jab for us that don't want to participate. That's not you preaching to the choir here. So if we look back at the text, how did Noah see clearly? How does he do this and put things in right perspective? And I do think there are several answers there. I do think there are several answers in this text. And I want to unpack all of those. I want to talk about the faith that he has by faith, Noah. I want to talk about him being warned by God of events as yet unseen. So we have faith. We have the warning. He goes on to say, in reverent fear. We have faith. We have warning. We have fear. All of these things working together. He keeps on. He is obedient. And we're going to see that. He constructed an ark for the saving of his household. He lived above the ridicule. He wasn't governed by what people thought. And so I want to look at all of these. So first let me look at the faith of Noah. Where does it come from? What does Scripture say to that? We're going to look at it in right context. So here, by faith, Noah. Faith is the first thing mentioned. It is the foremost thing mentioned. It is before obedience. Faith is before the fear. Faith is listed here before all of these things. And how does he come to have this? And so my question, as the lights are on in here, uh, I would ask, does the light, does the light bulb here above me shining down, toasting my face in this warm sanctuary, does it decide to be on, decide to shine, so it turns on and then electricity comes in and gives it the ability? No. No, for that light to shine, we flipped the switch. The electricity came in and gave this ability and it did what it was created to do. It's serving its purpose in shining light. I was the same way. I was born with an inclination to rebel against God. I was born, and Scripture says, Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked and who can cure it? So I was born Unable to even seek God. Romans 3.10 No one seeks after God, not even one. There is no one righteous. I had no ability, no way. I was blind. I was dead in trespasses. And God opened my eyes. He removed His promise to His people. Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27. He says, I will remove your heart of stone and I will put within you a new heart and I will cause you to obey. In verse 27, I will cause you to obey my statutes and commands. And so He gives me this electricity so that I might shine. So first off, this faith. Where does it come from? A couple of passages that I can think of. That I've written down. Um, Romans 3.10. No one seeks after God. So I know I did in faith. It had to come from somewhere. Ephesians 2.8 and 9. 
And I'm actually going to turn there. Ephesians 2, if you want to turn there, if you've got your Bible there at home, uh, turn back to Ephesians 2 and verse 8 and 9 says this, one you're familiar with. By grace you have been saved through faith. Faith saved us? But it says, by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not as a result of work so that no one can boast. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before him that we sh- beforehand that we should walk in them. I didn't faith. I didn't have any. I was graced faith by, according to Hebrews, by the author of faith, by the finisher, the perfecter of faith, the one who authors faith, authored in me. There is an author writing out a story better than I ever could have written out. Every day, my perspective, my filter, as I want to yell at somebody, as I want to throw things at the car that cut me off on my way here this morning, as I want to yell and scream at people who offend me or do things that I would, don't think I would have done, every moment that that comes, I have to counsel myself knowing there is an author who has written out this story and he is much better at writing than I am. He has written out a story that will test and grow my faith. He has written out a story that he has given me faith and now he is sure to test it and try it so that it grows. Second Timothy 2.25 says that God grants repentance. Oh, I pray that you have it. He's, he's praying and he says, man, I, I hope you get, get this about God if he will grant you, that God might grant you repentance. Um, even in this book of Hebrews, last night I sat and added this in just this morning before I came here. Uh, even in Hebrews, I went back and I read the first uh, ten chapters Just word for word, reading down through, looking for the word faith. And it is mentioned one time back in 6, before chapter 10, verse 39. It is mentioned one time. We have 10 chapters and faith is mentioned once. And then it's followed in verse 3 by, if God permits. Back in chapter 6, that's the only time I found the word faith reading through 10 chapters. And then he's going to go on to say, look, we can even do any of these things if God permits it, if he faiths in us. Um, Some more passages in Romans 12, 3. Paul says, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to, but in humility consider other... Oh, sorry, I just jumped to Philippians. But he says, uh, lost my place, sorry. Hebrews 12, nope. Where was I? Somebody tell. 12.3, thank you. But think according to the measure of faith that God has given you. In Romans 12.3, don't think more highly than you ought to of yourself, but think according to the measure of faith that God has given to you. Hebrews 12.2 is the author and the finisher of your faith. That He is the author. What does it mean that God is the author of your faith? What does it mean that He wrote it out? What does it mean that He finishes it even? I've been given faith and some people think that's it. God has given me the ability to see and now I have to keep it all and do perfect. And it is exhausting to try and continue 
your faith in your own strength. That is impossible and it is exhausting. At the mission, one of the things we tell people when they first come in, and it shocks them often that they come in and sit down in my office across from me and say, I'm, I'm really struggling. I've got to stop using this drug. I've got to stop drinking. I've got to stop doing these things. And my response is, I don't want you to quit anything. Quit trying not to sin. That's exhausting. Don't quit smoking. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Pursue Christ in such a way that all of those things don't matter. That everything else seems worthless. It is exhausting to try and quit sinning. What we do is we behold Christ. Even Jesus, when He was on the cross, it says, But for the joy set before Him, Christ endured the cross. Christ was able to endure because He beheld what was coming. The plan of God. If we will behold Christ, if we will behold His glory, we will be made in His image moving from glory to glory ourselves. This is why we pray for other people. We say it all the time, don't even think about what we're praying. We'll pray, God, open their eyes. Open the eyes of my heart. We sing about it. God, let them see you. God, give them a heart. Give them wisdom to understand why do we pray that? Why does Paul pray that we would have a spirit of wisdom and a revelation of knowledge of Jesus Christ? Because he knows I can't do it. Uh, Even John 3, 3, when Jesus meets Nicodemus, and he says, unless you be born again, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. He says, well, how do I be born again? Do I enter back in my mother's room? He said, no. He said, you can't do it. (laughs) You've got to be born again. And then he goes on in verse 8 and he says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. We see the effects. We don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit of God. I don't know about you, but I didn't have any say in my birth. When I was born, I didn't, I wasn't looking at my watch and said, time for water slide on out. Nope. When it was time to be born, I was born, and I didn't decide it. And Jesus says, you must be born again. This is a good thing. It's not a terrifying thing. It's not a I'm not in control thing. It's not a I'm a robot thing. What this is, is we were born as robots enslaved to sin. We were born with a heart that rebels against God. We were born with a nature that wants self rather than God. And so we are already robots. We've got it backwards. It's not that God giving us faith makes us robots. It's that He frees us from our robotic state. He frees us from the enslavement to sin. We are enslaved to sin. We are blind. We are deaf. We are mute. We are dead in sin. And God comes and He faiths for us. He authors and finishes our faith so that we might be free. Because we are stuck right now. So let me move forward, or I'll never get done here. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen. This warning is part of it. How does Noah see rightly? Well, first off, he has been given faith by an author who knows what he's doing and writes a story where Noah has faith in his heart so that he might hear the warning. Because right now, some of you sitting there at home, maybe even here, 
God has already given a warning. God has spoken. And if you have sat in any church service under a pastor who teaches the word of God, then you have heard the warning of God that you are to repent and believe and follow Christ so that you might escape the wrath of God. It is not sin alone that you are saved from. It is not just bad things that you are saved from and hell that you are saved from. It is God Himself that you and I, when we say we are saved, what are we saved from? It is from God. It is His wrath that will be poured out for eternity. So we were saved from God and then He came in flesh, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we are saved by God. And He created us so that we might give Him glory. We are saved for God. We are saved from God, by God, and for God. And He is the one authoring and writing out all of it. So here, what does He do so that the faith that has been placed in us, to each one has been given a measure of faith and believe according to that? So now, if you are able, if you have ears that can hear because He has given you faith, do you know that you've already been given the warning? A flood came here for Noah and a warning was given and Noah stood in the ark and he was saved from the wrath of God. He was saved from the flood. He was saved from God and his wrath in the flood. He was saved by God in giving the warning and the ears to hear the warning so that he might obey. And then he was saved for God that he might continue to display the image of God and multiply and fill the earth with the image of God as he shares what God has done. Noah messed it up a little. Uh, Gets naked and drunk when he gets off the ark. But that was the reason he was given this opportunity and salvation. I'm going to tell you, here's the warning for us now. For those of us who have ears, there is another flood coming. God said He wouldn't destroy the earth with a flood of water again, but there is a flood of fire that will consume the earth, and it is coming. And apart from the ark, there will be no salvation. If you are not standing in the ark, you will not be delivered, and you will encounter the wrath of God. Here's the warning. If you have ears to hear, hear it. And so being warned by God of events as yet unseen... Being warned by God of events as yet unseen. Once faith has been given and authored, we are finally able to hear the warning. Can you hear it this morning? He was dead in his trespasses and God made him alive. He was blind and God made him see. Notice that the warning was not about the things in the past. Notice for us as believers who have heard the warning and stand firmly in the truth of God's salvation and gospel, His good news. The warning here is not about the things that have happened. Well, you screwed up. You're just damned because you have done all of these terrible things. That is not the warning. The warning is the things as yet unseen, the things that are to come. I'm giving you this warning so that you will not stand in the wrath of God during them. Can you hear the warning now? And I pray that we as believers have done a good job of sharing the warning of the things to come, not of condemning you for the things in the past. So we need to be careful to do the same as we share with others. But we must warn others of the coming of Christ. We must warn others of what God has given us in this warning. So can you hear it? Again, Revelation chapter 2 and 3, when he talks to the seven churches, he says, let him who has ears, seven times, let him who has ears hear. In other words, some of you, I'm going to tell you this, and it's not going to do any good. The very last uh, chapter in Proverbs says, give strong drink to the one who's perishing. He understands. Look, 
There's some you're just not hearing. But for those who have ears, please hear. For those that God has authored a measure of faith that you are out of the blindness, out of the deafness and the enslavement to sin, I pray that He would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation of knowledge of Jesus Christ so that you can hear and be warned. So let me move on. The next part. By faith Noah, being warned by God of events as yet unseen in reverent fear. Not just fear, reverent fear specifically reverent fear. And we know, familiar with Proverbs 1, 7, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and fools despise wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning. The fear of the Lord is not the end. The fear of the Lord, some people, they got afraid of God because they heard about they're going to hell when they were little and they've just stayed in that fear forever, but they've never grown to know and love the God who is kind and compassionate and saving and loving and Merciful and faithful, even when we are faithless. Um, I, I love in Hebrews, um, is it verse 6? No, in, it's Romans. I'm sorry, Romans 4, 22, where it says, uh, No unbelief made him waver concerning the promises of God, talking about Abraham. And we know that Abraham wavered in his faith. He wavered as he lied about his sister, wife. We know that he twice, we know that he, he wavered. But in Romans it says, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promises of God. You know why? Because God was faithful even when Abraham might not have been. God is faithful when I am faithless because He is the one who authors the faith. He is the one who gives me strength. And even when I fail, He is there to push me forward and grow me in faith as He sanctifies us, as we become more like Him in reverent fear. Uh, Psalm twenty-five, twelve says that God instructs those who fear Him. He is teaching those who fear Him. Psalm 34, 9, those who fear, lack, fear the Lord lack nothing. Luke 1, 50, God has mercy on those who fear Him. And before our eyes were open, we didn't even know to be afraid. I see people all the time that will curse God openly. They have no fear of the Lord. They are standing blind in their sin and trespasses. And my job is not to hate them for that. If I saw a blind man standing in the road with a bus coming, I would not go, well, he's stupid. I hope he gets hit by that bus. You deserve what you get. He's blind. So as we understand that, people who have not seen and heard and understood the fear of the Lord, we should, as Paul said, persuade others to be reconciled to Christ. We are ministers of reconciliation. And so our job, our goal here is to hear this message, to walk in this message as God has given us faith and ability to see and hear, and then to go and to share with those blind who are in imminent danger. It is coming. And then he goes on and he says, Noah, by faith Noah being warned by God as of events as yet unseen in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. He obeyed. Obedience comes after all of the other things. The Pharisees got it backwards. They were obedient, hoping that the others would follow. It's not how it works. All of their obedience prior to understanding, all of our obedience prior to knowing Christ is in vain. We cannot work to be saved. We are saved by grace through faith, not by works, lest any man should boast. We just read that. Don't get it backwards. We're not earning it. 
Noah constructed an ark. It is no mistake that obedience comes dead last in this chronology of Noah's salvation and deliverance. Um, Babel was another one. They thought they could do it and they worked their way to heaven and trying to anyway. Didn't work out so well for them. Um, again, John 5, where Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, he says, You search the scriptures because you think in them are salvation, but they speak about me. You have no relationship. You don't understand. You are still blind. Psalm 127, verse 1 and 2, actually says that you labor in vain if it is apart from the Lord. You may build, you may fortify, you may do all of these things, but it is entirely in vain if the Lord is not the one who has driven all of it. Matthew 23, 25, where Jesus is teaching and he says, You clean the outside of the cup and the inside is filthy. It's worthless effort. You're cleaning out the outside, trying to put on appearances. The truth is, obedience does not save you. Fear does not save you. Being warned even does not save you. How many times have we warned or been warned and ignored it? Even belief does not save you. And I'm going to pause there before you throw me out. Before you throw me out just yet. Even belief does not save you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul writes and he says, This is the gospel by which you are saved in which you stand that we preach to you unless you believed in vain. They believed. But there was a belief that was in vain. If you continue reading in 1 Corinthians, that same letter, finish the chapter in 15, it's faith that endures is the faith that saves, and God is the one who gives the faith that endures. God, I know y'all have been going through Matthew. I think it was on Wednesday nights. Was that Wednesday nights? And so on Wednesday nights going through Matthew and you saw all of these parables. You saw the sower and you saw what happens when the seed is thrown everywhere. It is everywhere. And it grew up and some uh, was good, some was bad soil, but it was thrown everywhere. And so belief there's one seed that is thrown and it's on this soil and it springs up real quick, but then it gets choked out. I think that would parallel well here, that it is choked out quickly. Um, we have faith often that is short-lived because of the distractions of the world, because it might have been something we manufactured, we authored. Oh yeah, I believe. I believe I'm going to get a new car. I believe the prosperity gospel. I'm going to tell you, that is a short-lived faith that will burn you out. And you'll find yourself in this. Belief even does not save if it is in vain. And so belief that saves is authored by God and it is with assurance of God. Remember Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And so it is God who saves it is God who does these things. I do want to clarify just briefly, though, if your faith lacks obedience, you don't have either. Uh, if our faith lacks fear, we don't have either. If we have not heard the warnings, if we have not responded in obedience because of the warnings that we have heard and the faith that has been in there, then we do not have the salvation. So while obedience does not save you, faith without works is dead. While fear of the Lord does not save you, that if it is lacking, it is evident that you do not know him <laughs> because everyone who encountered him fell as though dead. Everyone who encountered him in his glory was terrified. And then he responds with, do not be afraid. 
Noah denied his comfort. He didn't do what was easy. He stood against ridicule. And he went on uh, to build the ark. And one thing for me, my time is is about out, so I'm going to close here in just a second. But some last thoughts. By faith, Noah, being warned by God of events as yet unseen in reverent fear, constructed an ark for. There was a reason that he thought he was building this ark. There was a reason he understood. And it said, for the saving of his household. Uh, My little girl is sitting here today. She's eight years old. And the first question that came to my mind the first time I read this passage as we read this uh, Noah built an ark for the saving of his household what am I constructing for those around me what am I constructing so that my wife and my family and my friends those at the mission that I counsel so that my little girl has a knowledge of who God is So that she hears, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. What am I constructing so that my household might be saved? That's a good question for all of us going back to some of those questions earlier. Noah, would he have missed his church service gathering for travel ball? Just saying, if that stings, I'll let you and the Lord deal with that. Noah did this. Building, constructing an ark for the saving of his household. Now by doing this he condemned the world, but he became an heir of righteousness and so did they. That comes by faith. Noah, in his faith, built a means of salvation to share with his family. So I wonder what are we building? Are we building a good career? Are we building an athlete? Are we building a good student? Are we building a good life of entertainment and excitement? Or are we building an ark that we and our families and our friends and those around us dying, lost, and blind might hear and see and might stand in during the flood of judgment that is to come? Can you hear the warning? Have you been given the faith to hear the warning? Has it stirred in you a reverent fear of God that we know we must bring others to see and hear as well? And then does that drive us to obedience? Does it change the way we live? I pray that we will too become heirs of righteousness by faith. I'm going to read Hebrews 10.39 and then we will pray and I will hand it back over. 10.39, but we are not... This is the preface to the passage we just read. This is the filter we want to put on as we read. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. But we are of those who have faith and preserve their souls. We who have been given faith. We who in our faith have been driven to see and hear the things and the warnings that are to come. We who have feared the Lord rightly so that we cry out for those that don't see and hear. We who are obedient because all of these things have stirred in us to act. We do not shrink back. We are not destroyed. But we are of those who have faith and uh, and preserve our souls. We are the ones who stand forever with God and who share with others so they might stand with us. Let's pray.
and I'll hand it back over. Father God, again, thank you. Thank you for the word you have given us. Thank you for the way you have so deeply gotten to our hearts. Thank you that you know us better than we know ourselves. Thank you that you are writing out a story we never could have fathomed or written ourselves. Thank you for all of the ways you reveal the truth in us and around us so that we might share more effectively, that we might persuade others to be reconciled to you, that we ourselves might be convicted and reconciled to you in all of the areas where we have rebelled against you. God, I ask that you would let us hear, let us image you, our creator, rather than the serpent. God, be glorified in all that we say and we do today and this week and the coming years, and receive all the glory and honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.